We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for the LakersNation.com podcast. It is August 4th and kind of, kind of a cool show today. I'm going to start off the show talking about why today, August 4th, is a really, really important day. It is the most important day of the remainder of the offseason for the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm going to explain why. In the second half of the show, I actually have what I thought was a very fun interview, I personally really enjoyed this, with Jim Hecht and Jeff Perlman of Winning Time. Uh, Jim Hecht being the producer and writer of the show, and then Jeff Perlman being the guy who wrote the book, uh, Showtime, which is what Winning Time is based on. Of course, Winning Time is returning to HBO for season two, starting up on August 6th. So that is right around the corner. I'm excited for it. Can't wait. But that's going to be the second half of our show. The first half, again, why today is such a big day. And it comes down to one player, Anthony Davis. Today is the day, Lakers Nation, today is the day that Anthony Davis can sign a contract extension with the Los Angeles Lakers. It would be a maximum of three years, $167 million being added onto Anthony Davis's contract. Now, he already has this season under contract at $40 million, $40.6 million. Next season, he has an early termination option at $43.2 million. The three years will be tacked on to the end of that. So we'd be talking about the 2025-2026 uh, season, the 2026-2027 season, 2027-2028 season. Those are the seasons that the contract extension would be added on to. So if AD inks this deal with the Lakers, that means Anthony Davis in purple and gold, or at least under contract, to play for the Lakers until 2028. Now, a few things. Before we get into should the Lakers do this, what would this mean for their future cap space, and all that kind of stuff, let me say this. Today is the first day this is possible. This is the first day they can actually sign an extension. If it doesn't happen today, that doesn't mean anything, right? That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. That doesn't mean that we should all panic or we should worry. 
or anything like that. Now, in fact, technically, today's the first day they can even negotiate. So if they signed it immediately, if they had a contract extension done immediately, maybe the NBA might raise some eyebrows at that. But bottom line, if it doesn't happen today, they've got time. This could happen a week from now. It could happen a month from now. It doesn't have to happen immediately. That's the, the point. So this isn't time to start throwing out the eyeball emojis or anything like that if a week has gone by and, and the extension isn't done at that point. It's not anything to necessarily worry about if it's not done immediately. But today is the first day that it's possible. And why I say this is the most important thing of the remainder of the offseason, it's because I think if you're the Los Angeles Lakers, you need to sign Anthony Davis to this extension. You need to get this done. If you're AD, maybe you look at what Jalen Brown just got from the Boston Celtics and you say, what? I'm a better player than Jalen Brown. Give me money like that. In order to get there, all he's got to do is wait a year, have a healthy season, and then opt out <laughs> next summer. It doesn't necessarily mean he'd be leaving the Lakers, but he could make more money. He could make more money is the bottom line. Anthony Davis could if he were to opt out and then hit free agency next summer. However, if I'm Anthony Davis, I've got an extensive injury history. I'm on the wrong side of 30 now. And if that extension is put in front of me, if it's me, I'm signing it. But I'm not Anthony Davis. I don't know exactly what he would do. But I think it makes sense for AD to sign it and extend with the Lakers for as long as he can. If I'm the Lakers, I also want to get this done. And again, this is part of why I think this is so important for them. It's because it gives you some certainty for your future. Next summer... As it currently sits, LeBron James has a player option. Now, we don't know if he is going to pick up that player option and stay or not and potentially walk away. Obviously, we don't, everything is, is still up in the air right now um, regarding the health of Bronny, Bronny James. And we hope for the best there. And the thought process for a while was that LeBron would probably opt out of that player option and he would go join Bronny. Wherever Bronny goes, wherever he gets drafted, that's where LeBron would go. Obviously, Bronny being drafted, Bronny making it to the NBA, all of that is very secondary to his health. That has to get sorted out first. And then down the road, when the time is appropriate, we can figure out whether or not that goal which would be absolutely incredible. That goal of having LeBron and Bronny play on the same team, if that is possible, if that's realistic or not. But that may be a factor in whether or not LeBron is entering his final season right now with the Los Angeles Lakers. It's possible. This could be it. And so if you don't have LeBron, let's say LeBron opts out next summer and he walks away. On one hand, you could say, well, you could put the Lakers into a rebuild. But the problem is they may not have their 2025 draft pick. If you're going into a rebuild, typically you want your own draft picks. That way, if you're losing, well, at least there's the silver lining of, hey, we're losing, but we're getting a better draft pick. So if the Lakers were to lose LeBron to a player option and Anthony Davis do the same thing, opt out and go somewhere else, well, that could be problematic for the Lakers, given that the Pelicans can take either the Lakers 2024 first round pick this next summer or kick the can down the road one more year and take their 2025 pick. Well, you can bet 
if the Pelicans catch wind of LeBron opting out, AD opting out, they're going to say, no, thank you, 2024. We'll take the 2025 draft pick with a LeBron James and Anthony Davis-less Lakers team. Now, that would not necessarily mean the Lakers would be devastated. You know, they would be, obviously, it would be not ideal. But they would have a lot of flexibility given the salary cap space they would then have. They would only have on the books D'Angelo Russell, who has a player option at $18.7 million. Maybe he picks that up. Maybe he doesn't. We'll see how that season plays out. Rui Hachimura at $17 million. Austin Reeves on a bargain at $13 million. Gabe Vincent at $11 million. JHS, Jalen Hutskafino at just under $4 million. Jackson Hayes has a $2.4 million player option. Same thing with Cam Reddish. Those are both minimums, minimum salaries. And then Max Lewis at 1.8. So there's not a lot of money on the books if LeBron and AD walk away. So if you have to start a rebuild, you'd be starting a rebuild. Nah, maybe you don't have your pick, but you also would have a ton of cap room to go do basically whatever you wanted in free agency. Again, not ideal though, because if AD signs the extension, then even if LeBron walks away and Anthony Davis says, you know what? Nah, I don't think I want to stay either. Okay. Okay, you can flip Anthony Davis for future assets at that point rather than have him walk away in free agency. That is one of the most damaging things that can happen with an NBA team. Short of, you know, catastrophic injury and, you know, we, we talk about Brandon Roy and Greg Oden, not to pick on the Blazers, but Brandon Roy, Greg Oden, some of the other, you know, players who we thought were, were going to just be perennial greats who wound up suffering injuries. I mean, Grant Hill, right, was is another example. And Penny Hardaway, these guys who their careers are cut short due to injury, that could be devastating to a team, no question. But losing a true superstar caliber player to free agency rather than trading that player can be devastating. If you are able to, if you're the Lakers, sign Anthony Davis now and next summer, next summer, what's your worst case? Even if you decide we really just want the cap space. We really want to be a cap space team. Get AD off the books too. Well, somebody's going to take AD's contract. Somebody's going to take his contract. Now, again, you risk maybe he has some sort of catastrophic injury this year. That's a risk that you'd be, you'd be taking. But at your worst, even if Anthony Davis has an injury-plagued year, if you told another team you can have AD under contract at $43 million, somebody's going to take that chance, even if it was just for, for pure cap space, if that's all you're after. So if that's kind of your floor, right? If you sign Anthony Davis to an extension, your floor is next summer, we could turn him into pure cap space because somebody will want to pay him that. That's your floor. Your ceiling though is Anthony Davis has a great year. He has to walk away. And I'm talking about just on the trade front here. Your ceiling is, he has to walk away when LeBron leaves and you get a haul. You get a bunch of future draft picks. Maybe you get some young players. You jumpstart that rebuild rather than being thrown into it with nothing but cap space. That is a much better situation to be in. Now, there's also another ceiling where rather than a rebuild, you tell Anthony Davis, hey, look at this team that we've got. We've got D'Lo. We've got Rui. We've got Austin. We've got Gabe Benson. We've got this... We've got players around you. We've got players around you, and we are ready to build out the next iteration of the Lakers with Anthony Davis as one of the cornerstones. You wouldn't necessarily have to go into a rebuild. 
Because you look at those pieces that the Lakers have, not only is it a very solid foundation around AD, ready-made for a star-level player to jump in, and off you go. You could be a championship contender right away. So, with that being said, the Lakers have these pieces that provide a foundation. They also provide movable contracts. And I think that a rebuild could very, very likely be avoided if you sign Anthony Davis to this extension. In fact, if you sign AD to this extension, you're telling him, hey, we're not going to rebuild, right? But your worst case is next summer, AD has to walk away. Your best case, and this is in the event LeBron walks away, you're able to rebuild the team around AD. You've got the assets to do it, and you can hit the ground running without having to go back into the dark ages of a 17-win season. That's what we're talking about right now. When we talk about an Anthony Davis extension, it's about stability for the future. It's about flexibility for the future. It's all of these things that are going to matter so much for the Lakers. This is going to be one of the most important things. And again, I think they get it done, but it's going to be one of the most important things that's on the Lakers to-do list over the next few months here. It's get this Anthony Davis extension done. And by the way, today is the day that they can officially do it. The first day, not the last day, but the first day. Now, before I do throw to our interview uh, with the guys from Winning Time, I also want to mention that Jared Vanderbilt is extension eligible. And I think that's where this is worth talking about. Now, Keith Smith and I went over the cap situation from the front office show. He could get an extension up to $75 million, which honestly is more than I thought it was going to be. I've been of the mindset that Vanderbilt would be better off uh, waiting until free agency because uh, I didn't think he was going to be able to get quite that much of a, of a deal. But because of the new CBA and the 140% of the average annual salary, that gives him the opportunity to get a pretty hefty chunk of change. Um, again, four-year $75 million deal could potentially be there for Vanderbilt. Now, that doesn't mean the Lakers should offer him that or would offer him that. But I think the Lakers really have to give this some consideration. If you can get Jared Vanderbilt on a deal that is, let's say it's a $12 million a year deal, what if it's something that looks similar to Gabe Vincent's deal? Is that something that you would do? I think it's something you have to consider. And really the question is, the bet here is, what do you believe about Jared Vanderbilt? And Jared Vanderbilt, he may just say, Vando may say, hey, I'm going to bet on myself. I am going to tear it up this season. I'm going to be great. I'm going to shoot 35% from corner threes. I'm going to be a defensive dynamo. And I'm going to bet on myself, and I'm going to cash in next summer when I'm an unrestricted free agent. When I'm an unrestricted free agent, I'm going to get paid. That may, that may be his mindset. That may be his mindset. And if that's the case, there's not, there's not much the Lakers can do. Um, assuming they don't want to overpay him right now. But if you can come to terms, if you can place a bet right now that, hey, we believe right now Jared Vanderbilt is worth this much money, but more importantly, two years from now, three years from now, he's going to be worth even more because we think the offensive game is going to come along. We think the defensive prowess that he's got 
is already giving him such a solid floor, a solid base, that if we get even marginal offensive improvement, his overall value just, I mean, it explodes. If you're able to find the right number for Vando, I think it makes a lot of sense to explore that and to see what you can do. Because again, right now, and I'm talking about future flexibility as well, right now, the Lakers have D'Lo, Rui, Vincent, Reeves. They've got these guys on very movable contracts. And I'm not saying they're going to try to trade any of these guys. But if you can follow suit and have Vando on a similar deal, it doesn't necessarily take away from your flexibility. I know every time we talk about, you know, using up cap space, get, signing guys to long-term deals, that takes away flexibility. Not when they are these kind of mid-sized deals for guys that are solid, talented, and keyword here, young players. It's a good bet that guys in their mid-20s are going to sustain their value. And Jared Vanderbilt just turned 24 a couple months ago. So it's a good bet to take that Vando's going to sustain talent. And again, I'm not saying that they should sign him because they're going to trade him. I'm not saying they should extend him with the idea of trading him. No, they absolutely shouldn't. They absolutely shouldn't. In fact, that could even hinder their ability to trade him, depending on how the how all everything plays out. We saw it with LeBron James last year. If he gets too much of a raise, it could hinder their ability to trade him. But nonetheless... Vando, I think, is the kind of guy where you want to make a bet on him. You want to take that gamble that we're going to pay him right now because we believe that the development will come and he's going to be worth even more next year and the year after that and the year after that. And hopefully, he's helping the Lakers win championships and he's on a good deal. And that's all you have to worry. He's a good player. He's a fan favorite. And that's your main focus, right? But push comes to shove, the right opportunity comes along, there's also a really good chance that as long as you don't go crazy, Vando is going to be a positive value on the trade front as well for years to come. Again, that's not your primary goal, but if you're the Lakers, if you're an NBA team, you always have to consider that when you're signing a contract. Push comes to shove, the right opportunity comes along. We need to make a move. Do we think this player's likely to be an asset on the trade front or not? It's something you have to think of. And I think that that's a strong bet to make with Vanderbilt. Again, within reason in terms of the value of the contract. So I think that Vanderbilt, as part of the young core of this team, you look at these guys, Austin's 25, Vincent's 27, Rui's 25, Delo's 27, right? JHS is 20. Jackson Hayes, they went and got. We'll see what his future is. But he's 23. Cam Reddish is 24 now. Right? I mean, Max Christie is 20. And remember, Max Christie is going to be a restricted free agent next summer. You're going to have to pay him. I think you get Vando. You've got you to have a willingness to explore the opportunity to get him long-term. To get him on this deal. Again, without going crazy. He's the kind of guy that you want to have on your roster moving forward. So, Anthony Davis, extension. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Hoping it gets done. But keep 
an eye out for Vando as well. Can the Lakers get something done there with him? Can they find a way? And is Vando receptive to that? These are the kind of things that we need to be watching for all the way up till the season starts in October. Do the Lakers reach an extension with Vando? And the big one, do they get it done with their star, one of their stars, in Anthony Davis? Lakers Nation, I'd love to know your thoughts on these extensions. Should the Lakers extend Vando? Should the Lakers extend Anthony Davis? Give me your takes over on the Lakers Nation uh, podcast feed on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to get a five-star rating and review over there. If you wouldn't mind, great way to help out the show. All right. We are going to get to our interview with the guys from Winning Time, Jeff Perlman, Jim Hecht. Uh, I really, really enjoyed the interview. It was, uh, was a lot of fun getting to talk through uh, all the stuff about the show and, and learn more about it and everything that's uh, you know behind the scenes and, and all of that. Absolutely fantastic stuff. So we will get to that interview in just one moment. But first, a quick shout out to our sponsor, and that is Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite event shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you will have. Personally, I'm the shopper, right? I look around a lot of different places trying to make sure I'm getting the best deal, particularly when it's a bigger purchase, which, well, tickets to a sporting event, they usually are. So I shop around to a lot of different places. So game time takes away my stress when I'm shopping for tickets because they offer a lowest price guarantee, which is absolutely phenomenal. So it's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You get images of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect. No surprises. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds. And because of that game time guarantee, you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time credits you 110% of the difference. Think about that. That's how convinced game time is that they will offer you the lowest price they offer that guarantee that way you can buy with confidence and avoid that stress the tickets get sent directly to your phone so you don't have to dig through your email or anything like that you get them right to your phone so snag the tickets without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and use the code lakers nation for 20 dollars off your first purchase terms apply again create an account and redeem code Lakers Nation for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Today, we've got a really fun show. You know, I like to say we have a fun show every day because every, every day we get to talk Lakers basketball. That's a blast. But this is going to be especially fun because today we get to talk about winning time. And we have Jeff Perlman joining, who is the author of the book that winning time is based on, which is Showtime, as well as Jim Hecht, who is a writer and producer for the show. Guys, thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah. This is uh this is exciting. So August 6th, the new season starts up, season two of winning time. Let, let's just start right there. What should we expect coming in ahead in uh season two here? Uh, well, I think, yeah, I think, you know, we're, 
picking up where we left off right after the Lakers won the championship in 1980 and seeing how everybody's dealing with uh, the aftermath and the fleeting, you know, winning time itself is like five seconds long, right? You win and then it's, there's a celebration and then it's over. And uh, our guys are finding that winning one championship is not enough, especially after it's gone. And uh, there's there's obviously a big obstacle looming ahead, a big green giant standing in their way. And that's, you know, Larry Bird and the Celtics. And until they conquer that foe, they will, they'll, they'll never really feel fulfilled. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be fascinating because people are. It, it's true of of the Lakers. It's been true forever now that like one championship isn't enough. Like right now, the conversation has no. been: does does LeBron deserve a statue? Well, he only won one championship, right? That's the that's the commentary right. that, that we see from Lakers fans. That's that's because of this great history that this franchise has of of winning championships. And like you said, they they win one, and then it's well, that's not enough. Now we got to win more, and we got to keep this rolling. We got to keep well, keep Showtime going. I remember as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, being like, we'll never catch the Celtics. That's just impossible. Don't even think about it. You know, we're too far behind. And now to be tied with them at 17, it's like, I just need one more and I can die a happy man. <laughs> right. Just to be one ahead of the Celtics, I, my life will be complete. So, so Jim, you grew up as as a Lakers fan. I mean, I see you've got all kinds of Lakers stuff yeah. decked out of your office. So this is... For you, this is like a real true, like, you know, passion for you to be associated now with the, with the show. Yeah, I met Magic when I was six, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at the Westminster Mall. I stood online for two hours and, and you know, you guys were talking earlier, like I, I rose as a kid, especially I rose and fell with the Showtime Lakers, like way too happy when they won and way too sad when they were when they lost. So. Yeah, this has been my team forever. And Jeff, you wrote you wrote the book that the series is based on. Why why the Lakers? Why why did you why did you zero in on the Lakers and decide this is the team that I want to that I want to write this on? And and in a little bit, I want to talk about the book you had following this too. But we'll get to that. I mean, I grew up in New York, a New Jersey Nets fan, and um, that was rough. It was like the Buck Williams and. Chris Morris and Dennis Hobson for older fans. Nothing going on there, Daryl Dawkins. But um, I'm very nostalgic. And when I was a kid and the Lakers, especially when the Lakers would play the Celtics, they would all these shows, they, they would be the national games on TV. And I was sitting there freezing my ass off in New York and they would show LA and the palm trees. And they, they'd literally do an outside shot of the, we're live from the Inglewood Forum or from the Forum in Inglewood. And then you'd zoom in and you'd see the Laker girls and you'd see magic with the smile and see Jack Nicholson with Diane Cannon. And it just appealed to me in such a strong way. And when I think of books, it's very character-driven, and it's very marquee character-driven. And when you think about those teams, I mean, you guys don't know this, but you think Magic, you think Kareem, you think Riley, you think Jerry Buss. It was just an enormous characters with a real boyhood appeal for me. That was it. I mean, they're, they're certainly larger-than-life figures. Um, one of the things that's always struck me as interesting about about winning time it is is it is a dramatization of of this time period how do you guys go about or how do you think it should be done to balance that dramatization with historical accuracy like how do you how do you walk that fine line yeah well 
It's a good question. I mean, it's sort of like on a case by case basis. I mean, we, right. I think a lot more is true of the show than people think primarily because we didn't answer those questions uh, in season one, which is why we put out the fact sheet for season mm-hmm. two. I think um, people have different truths of what happened. You know, like you look at the story, you could say it's magic. If you look at the Showtime Lakers, you could say it's magic story, but you could also say it's Norm Nixon's story. You could also say it's Pat Riley's story or Westhead's story or Spencer Haywood's story. So everybody has a different version of what went on. So a lot of times we're taking, you know, the version that we find the most likely or at least the most dramatically compelling. And, and, and not everybody agrees that that's the way that it went down. Um, but I think, you know, we try to stay true, like capital T true, like to the truth of what happened, like the truth of a person who they, they, they essentially were, it's her, sometimes there are more, you know, for example, do I know that Jerry West threw his championship or his, uh, his, his MVP finals MVP trophy? Not specifically. I do know from, you know, his autobiography stuff, he threw a lot of things. He threw golf clubs. He broke a lot mm-hmm. of golf clubs. And I know that he hated the fact that he won that, you know, MVP in the finals, even though they lost to the Celtics, he considered it a booby prize. It was actually a car. I think it was green. So he like gave it away immediately. So like, you put those things together for the sake of efficiency of story. Yes, he hated that award, and he 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 threw it. I just want to make say sense. That, like part of it is all right. So it's interesting because I came from it from a journalistic standpoint, and this mm-hmm. is the first time I've had something adapted. Yeah, and I was always the guy watching Forty Two and watching We Are Marshall, and even watching Moneyball, like a great movie, and being like, "Well, that didn't happen that way. That didn't happen." Because I. I literally covered the Oakland A's as a baseball writer at Sports Illustrated. Now I'm watching Moneyball and I'm like, uh, uh. And then it becomes, then your book becomes the show, right? And you're like, well, now I kind of get it. And the thing, and I really do think like, I actually do kind of get it now where I didn't in the past, which is, it is a dramatic retelling and it's not a documentary. It's a dramatic retelling and you Mm -hmm. take the spirit of it all. And it's funny because I've had talks with probably every writer on the show, Jim included, when a Jerry West or a Korean gets mad, right? Yeah. And I would say, like, you have to understand where they're coming from, which is mm-hmm. they're watching a TV show, and that's, oh, that guy looks just like me, and he's using my name, any place or Lakers. So you have to understand where they're coming from, and at the same time, the show really goes out of its way to respect who they are, what they stand for, what they went through. It's clearly a drama, you know, it's a dramatic enterprise. It's not a documentary. But the show is very, very real to the spirit of the book and the spirit of what happened in the eighties, in my opinion. Does that stuff does that stuff bother you guys at all? If if you you know Kareem gets upset, Jerry West ups, gets upset, does that because the show has received a ton of praise and Lakers fans have absolutely loved it? When you hear stuff like that, though, does that does that bother you at all? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, those are heroes to me. You sure. Know? My, those are my childhood heroes, you know. I I love Jerry West. I love his book. I don't think he's watched the show. I'm pretty sure neither of them have watched yeah. the show. Um, and I I think it's probably really hard to watch yourself. Um, I'm often you know surprised by what it is that people do fixate on, that they get upset about. Um, I think the thing that makes it, you know, that I don't quit the show is like. 
I think that we are being true to the essence of who the people are. I've double checked and talked to a lot of people who knew these people, who worked with these people, who play with these people. And they go, that's, that's it. That's what they were like. And, you know, I think most people that I talk to are like, they come off looking super lovable in the show. Like Kareem and Jerry West, people love them and love their portrayals and love their characters in the show. So I don't, think that we're being mean or malicious and tearing them down in the way that they seem to, to think we are. And I think that, uh, I, you know, it's, it, it is actually done with love to, 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 to show, you know, the greatness of who they are as people too. I mean, people deal with things, people overcome things, people have character flaws and you, you, you start to, I mean, I think especially with Kareem's character in season two, we start to see him grow out of some of the things that have held him back as a person. Wait, Trevor, one thing I'll tell you that's funny and mm-hmm. it's a different perspective. So I come from a journalism background and I covered just as an example. I was in major league baseball clubhouses for six years in the nineties during the height of the steroid era when these guys were just the moodiest, meanest pains in the asses of all time. And I've gotten chewed out by more athletes than I can remember from my career. And so then when you enter this world, like these guys didn't have that experience. Like Jim's never been had John Rocker, you know, threatening to kill him or Will Clark. (laughs) And it actually hardens you a lot to athlete anger. It really does. I swear. And like, so these guys get mad and you're like, oh, it's just, it's just, it's just a thing that happens, you know, not that. Well, and Jeff, to your point, it's it's difficult to watch yourself. And it's also difficult. I think there's a couple of elements here. It's difficult if something is maybe not quite as you remember it, which we all know, you know, the human memory is is not infallible, right? How we perceive something can be very different. That's why you get very different accounts of, of the same event. But also the passage of time can create that effect as well, where we misremember things. Um how much has that was that a factor when you're when you guys are researching for the show and you're say you're you're talking to somebody you're trying to figure out how you want to put something together how often did you run into like what one person how one person remembers it, it 40 years later is different than how another person remembers it is different how is how a third person remembers it is there enough in terms of news clippings and newspaper uh, articles and things like that to where you can you can delve into the facts or do you have to just kind of sift through the firsthand accounts and try to make sense of what actually happened, knowing that the passage of time can kind of muddy the waters? Everybody has a different version of every scene in the story. Like the biggest fight I think that we had in the writer's room, or one of them at least, was a scene between Magic and Cookie, where in the source materials, like in the interviews and stuff like that, Cookie said one thing, Magic said another thing. Five years later, they said something completely different. Ten years on, it was a completely different story. And so, you know, we're left to sort of sift through and go, what is the truth of this, the capital T, truth of the situation and the conversation? What is it? But the reason why it's not a documentary, it's a drama, is because we're trying to say something greater about people and human condition and what, you know, the story illustrates for people you know, for the viewer, like what kind of lessons and morals and, and things can we take out of it and, and these people? So, you know, when you search through those scenes and there's five, six, seven, eight different versions of, of, of what happened, you know, you have to stick to the one that rings the most true to the story you're trying to tell. Yeah. And one thing that's funny, Trevor, I just want to say is like, um, mm-hmm. I think you nailed it with what you said. Like memory is a tricky, tricky thing and it fades and you tend to accentuate your role in something and you make something greater and you add greater meaning to something. 
And one thing I will say, I remember going the first time I went to the writer's room and I was not writing on the show. I, they just let me come to the writer's room. We still regret that. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm like, oh, it's the massive, massive, ma two things. Number one, they had lunch brought in every day. But number two, the massive <laughs> amounts of research material. Like you think, oh, based on your book. And then you show up and they also happen to have every Laker book that's ever been written. They have just absolute mounds of articles, research material, et cetera. So like they definitely, they didn't just take my book and go, all right, here's the truth. They right. dug and dug and dug and dug. It was actually, it was journalistically really impressive, I thought. Yeah, thank you. Jim, Jim, can you speak to that process a, a little bit? What What is that like in terms of putting together a show and and what what's the amount, what, what does it take to put together to actually write one of these shows in terms of the the Herculean work that has to go into it? I mean, I don't know how much you know about the genesis of the story, but this started in 2014 when Jeff, Jeff's book came out. And here we are in, in, in 2023, nine years later, just finally getting to season two. So it's been a long, long process. And, uh, you know, it's, it's yeah, you know, I can just for episode 201, here's my research binder. You know what I mean? Like for every, I've read, I think I've read everything. Every article, every interview, every book, you know, it's almost enough that, and I say this warily, even for me as a super fan of the Showtime Lakers, like I almost feel like I've had my fill of Lakers for a while. Like it finally, you know, I finally like went in the closet and smoked the box of, box of cigars that makes me never want to smoke again. Um, but yeah, so it's exhaustive. I mean, it's, I know well, way too know, much about this team. That's when you know you've researched something to death is when, yeah. number one, you don't want to think about it anymore. But number two, nobody in your life, like you go up to people in your life, and they're <laughs> like, I don't want to hear anything about the Lakers. Just nothing about the Lakers. And that's when you know you've, uh, you know, okay, I'm good. I'm good. We can, we can talk about something else. Yeah. I stopped going to games for the first time in my life during production. Like I went when they were like, when they won 17 games, I went to every home game. And finally, during the show, I was just like, I, I, I have too much Lakers right now. So are you, where are you now? Like, are you looking forward to the season starting in October? Or are you oh, still yeah. kind of in Lakers overload right now? Yeah, no, I, I was definitely, after we wrapped in January and the, the, the team went on a run, that was, that was a super fun season. Yeah. You know, probably the most fun season I've had that they didn't win a championship. So let, let me ask you guys this as you're when you're doing all this stuff, right? Like you're you, you're kind of as you're putting together the show, you've kind of you've got one foot in the past while at the same time having to live in the mm -hmm. present because you're putting together that show. Do you guys find yourselves drawing a lot of parallels from what was happening back then to what we're seeing happening? Maybe not even just with the Lakers, but in the sports world in general today. Yeah, absolutely. I think everything that I see, I tend to take it back and look at through that lens. Like, I don't know, you probably haven't seen it yet, but there's a there's a a scene where Magic makes a, a fateful, a very you know big announcement to the press, uh, and it's it's so eerily close to the thing that he said when he quit a couple of years ago as mm. as vice president of the team. I'm not having any fun anymore. It's just not fun for me. It's like watching them back to back. It's like really weirdly similar. Jeff, when you were writing it, same thing. Did you did you find a lot of parallels to, to modern day? I wouldn't say so, but I the one thing okay. that is funny, I will say, is um I felt this way when the book came out. I felt this way when the show came out. You are always better off 
having your product come out when the team you write about sucks. Like, <laughs> they were working on winning time season one. The Lakers were not good. They weren't doing well, blah, 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 early on when they first were. And I was like, oh, this is great timing. Because that's when people really pine for nostalgia yeah. is when the team uh -huh. sucks. So I'm always like hoping that, I mean, I'm not hoping, but like the books I'm working on, Showtime comes out. You kind of hope it. All right, maybe the Lakers are in a down year and people are longing for the glory days. So I always do think about what's the team doing now and how does that relate to the interest that's going to be in the product itself. That's interesting because like when I read your book, it was 2014. They were they were pretty lousy. Mm -hmm. And I was really craving, you know, a revival of Lakers. So it like really hit that nostalgia, you know, point in my life. And uh, next thing I know, I'm on a plane flying to New York to go seek you down in, in New Rochelle. Yeah, there you go. You know, it was the um it was the Jordan Clarkson era of the Lakers. A lot of Wayne Ellington. <laughs> so that was a good time for a book to come out. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Jim, tell us about that. You so you you flew out to go see Jeff and and talk about doing this. What what happened? How did that go? Well, I I reached. See, I had a talking. Um, I had a career in talking animal movies. I worked on the Ice Age films, and by you know by the time this book came out, I had sort of hit career bottom, and I had this like talk with myself where I basically came up with two things. One, I got to stop watching. Stop, I got to stop writing things I like and only write things that I love because that's the only stuff I do well. I do a really bad job when I just like a project. But when I love it, I can fight through all the hard stuff. The second thing was stop trying to write the show you think everybody else would want to see and write the thing that you want to watch. And it was the next day I was listening to ESPN radio here in Los Angeles and they were talking about Jeff's book was about to come out. And the day after that, I was at book soup the, you know, the, the morning before it opened, I was at the door. And I read it by like one or two o'clock and I called my agent. I said, this is, I didn't buy it as like, I want a project for movies and television. I bought it because I was a super fan of the era and I read it and I was like, this, it reads Jeff's book. The characters are amazing. It reads like a television treatment, you know? And so the book came out in what, March, Jeff? I don't even remember. Something sure. like that. It was like three weeks later. It was Easter Sunday. I went to Jeff's house in New Rochelle. And I showed up with, well, dude, Jeff, he tells the story probably better than hey, I do. Oh, Trevor, true story. Hey, there's this guy. Hey, I'm Jim, blah, blah, blah. I really love your book, blah, blah, blah. I Google him. <laughs> I Google him. Main credit, Over the Hedge 2, Ice Age 2. Ice Age 2 over the, no, Ice Age 2. The Meltdown. The Meltdown, I'm sorry. And I'm like, so my wife, I'm like, this guy wants to come to our house. And my wife's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, he wants to go to our house. <laughs> Jim show. I'm like, all right, you can come Easter Sunday. We're Jewish. We're having dinner, family dinner. I literally just told my nephew who's visiting us in California that he was at the house when you came. And Jim shows up Easter Sunday. I still don't really know why. And he's carrying with him three things. I've discussed this before. It's still funny. A, a tomato, a block of Baker's chocolate, and a bottle of imitation wine drink. Not wine, not wine drink, imitation wine drink. And he shows up. And he has Easter Sunday with us, dinner, again, Jewish, not celebrating Easter. And he talks up, blah, 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 blah. And my wife is at one point is like, who is this guy? And I'm like, I don't know. It's, you know, and he's like, I really think this can be something. And I never, I just never believed it. I never bought into it. I never thought it was going to happen. Every now and then Jim would call, oh, I have big news, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, whatever, this isn't going to happen. And um, one day, and you know, a bunch of years ago, he's like, I think it's happening. And then not long after that, a friend of mine sent me an article. I swear to God, sent me an article. And it said, like, 
John C. Riley set to appear in series based on <laughs> I'm like, that's my book, literally my book. And then it's Sally Field, and then it's Adrian Brody. And then I'm like, holy cow, Jim Heck changed my life. And here we sit. He said he closed the door and he turned to Catherine and goes, nothing's ever going to happen with Nothing. that. Because <laughs> I knew it wouldn't because I'd had books option before and it never happens, you know? And I, Jim didn't even give me money. Most people at least give me money. Jim didn't even give me money. That, thank God for Jeff's cynicism about, about Hollywood yeah. and the process because he, he didn't charge me for the option. He was like, yeah, take a shot at it. Take a shot. It's never going to happen. Never going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And, and here we are. Yeah, now I'm driving a Rolls Royce and smoking cigars. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you don't even get out of bed for interviews anymore. That's true. You're that famous. That is true. I told him I was going to make him the male Candace Bush now. Yeah, I said that. That did not happen, though. No, it's because he put Florida Gators hats on for interviews about the Lakers. <laughs> Fair point. Podcast listeners might be might be confused. Jeff is sitting is sitting in bed right now with his Florida Gators hat, hat on as we're doing this show, uh, as our YouTube viewers could could see. You know, obviously this this show has been you know a big success and a major passion for you guys. But what I'm curious from from each of you going back to season one, what was your favorite scene? Like, what was the the moment in the show where you just went, "Yes, that is that was everything that I want this want this to be." Wait, I just want to say first, Jim, for me personally, because I have it top of my head, it's um, episode one. Now, I'm in the scene and my wife is in the scene, but that actually has nothing to do with why I love the scene. It is the coin flip when they decide that they that they get Magic Johnson. Everything about that scene is so great. And there's this moment where they're looking for a quarter to flip the coin in the commissioner's office and they find a quarter under the couch and it has gum on it. And it's the detail and the actor they got to play Larry O'Brien, the commissioner of the NBA at the time, was just spot on and they used a close-up of my wife who got a Catherine who got a cameo as the Chicago Bulls executive assistant and like everything about the frantic beauty of that scene and the authenticity of that scene I still it's my favorite scene in the history of the show we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's a lot. It's funny because like five things flashed through my mind, boom, 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 when he said it. But I, the one thing I would isolate is the speech about the swan, mm. you know, the most beautiful bird in the world on top of the water, but underneath its waters. It's, and I know it's not the most emotional moment, but it was, I had this mentor in my life, this guy, Pete Kastoff, who was, a, he just sort of, he, he, and he used to use that analogy, you know, when things would, would get tough about, you know, for him, it was about the work that you had to do as a person. 
you know, you see these people out there in the world that seem effortless and, and like they just kind of are gliding across the surface, but you don't see all the work that they do as people, you know, under the water. And so Pete had just sort of, Pete had just passed away before we started shooting. And, um, and, and when John said that on the set, I kind of had to walk away and like, it was just a really powerful moment for me. Also, you're kind of soft to begin with, so. I am. I cry at the drop <laughs> of a hat. Yeah. That's, that's when the awesome. national that's anthem awesome. plays at games, I just oh god, every time. Soft. Soft. <laughs> it just gets to you. It just gets to you. Yeah. No, that was that's. Um, I think that was probably my favorite scene too. Was that that swan oh, wow. speech? Just it was so cool. I mean, it was just such such yeah. a great, um, just a great metaphor, and, and I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, can't wait for what's going on. Uh, what's coming up here with season two? This is going to be uh, again a, a lot of fun. The, the Lakers—it's always a roller coaster. There's always tons of drama, and so of course, eventually, this had to be made into a, a, a TV show. But the way you guys have portrayed all the all the characters, the way the actors ha have come together and, and really fleshed this out is absolutely amazing. Um, before we wrap up here, what? How difficult was it to find actors to fit these to fit these roles? Like this is these are well known guys that, that you're playing you have to get these guys that, that physically at least somewhat resemble that man i think they did a, a fantastic job but also can can act and play the parts and all of that how difficult was that process of finding guys to to fill out this show well it wasn't difficult for us it was difficult for the casting director francine okay. Maisler, and she did i think she should get an oscar for a tv show for what she did i mean when we were trying to set up the project the one thing that a lot of people said time and time again was You'll never be able to cast Magic and Kareem. Mm -hmm. You'll never be able to cast guys that are that big, that can play basketball. And she did it. She went on to find San Solomon, who is 6'11", and played center at Cal, played for the Globetrotters, played overseas, and has a PhD. So he really captures that internal, you know, the, th the thinking mind of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that's always working, you know, that you can just see, like, like just analyzing everything. And then Quincy... When I saw Quincy's audition, I stopped the tape and brought my wife in. And I was like, it's him. I just froze on the smile. I was like, it's magic. And then I went to his IMDb page and it was blank. There was nothing on it but a, a demo reel that he had uploaded. He had never had an acting job before. I went to his Instagram page. It was 267 followers. So this was a kid who played college football. He was over 300 pounds. Kalamazoo College. Yeah. When I when you Googled him at the time, the only thing that came up was his highlight reel from college of him making pancake blocks over and over again for like 30 minutes. And he decided his senior year he wanted to be an actor. And I got to tell you, I think Quincy Isaiah is like a DiCaprio level talent. Like, I don't think I've ever worked with somebody that's just that naturally gifted. You know, uh, it, it, uh, what about me? Season besides, six. yeah. <laughs> Jeff is one of, season six i think is going to draw some real acting attention and some real emmy chatter well there's out. two there's two fantastic portrayals of reporters by reporters which are jeff in the press conference and 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 my wife in in episode yep. six she playing herself so also trevor i just want to say even though it's a laker themed mm -hmm. show um sean patrick small who plays larry bird this oh I mean, my god is so preposterously good yeah and the other thing is that's really I love about the show. I've said before, it's like Quincy, Solomon, Sean, 
Delante D'Souza who plays Cooper. I don't know, Austin Aaron who plays Landsberger, mm -hmm. on and on and on. There are all these young actors who had little to no experience and all of a sudden they find themselves on an HBO show alongside John C. Riley and Rob Morgan and Sally Field. It's like a lottery ticket and it's so awesome. And these guys are great. They're just lovely people. I'm not just saying that. They are lovely people. Mm -hmm. Quincy, to spend a few hours with Quincy is just a joy, Solomon, a joy. They're just good people. So it's like this whole thing has been kind of dreamy, I have to say. They are just fantastic human beings. They're such good. You got to come down and meet them, Trevor. You you just, you can't help but to. like these people. They're just great guys. Like, stay away really from good people. Hack, you know, Hollywood. I would. Yeah, if you can. <laughs> I try to stay away from Jim Hackton. I'm here. <laughs> Oh, I would, I would love definitely to, to come down and meet them. That would be, that would be absolutely fantastic. I would 100% take you up on, on that for sure. Um, Jeff, I, I gotta ask you wrote three ring circus, the Shaq, the Kobe, the Phil Jackson years. Is that next? Trevor, I'm just going to say right now, if you come to my house with a block of chocolate, a fake wine drink and a tomato, <laughs> it'd be yours. Um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been optioned as an idea that maybe one day down the line, I mean, obviously Hollywood is a fickle business as you can tell by everything going on right now. And you mm -hmm. never know, but I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't turn it down. So, you know, who knows? That's the plan. You know, we'd like to get through Showtime and then get mm -hmm. on to Shaq and Kobe. Um, but to do that, people got to watch, you know, it's right. got to be a successful show. And, and, yeah. and far too often I worry that Laker fans don't even know that the show exists or don't know when it's on. And, you know, I'm thankful for you for doing this and heightening awareness among the fan base that that were there and uh, and and they should come out and watch. And people who don't even like basketball should watch because it's a great family drama. Yep. It, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Lakers fans, again, it, it comes out August 6th, so just a few days. Make sure you check out the show on HBO. And for those, so I get my audience is most of the audience, not all of it, but a decent chunk of the audience is a little bit younger than me. I grew up during the Showtime era. Mm -hmm. And so I remember some of this. Not great. Not, I don't have like a super vivid memory of, you know, Magic and Kareem and all that kind of stuff. Like the earliest memory I have is of trying to do Kareem Skyhook on my little play school hoop, you know, that that type of stuff. But I think for, for my audience specifically, this is a lot of people who get so obsessed, like I do and like we do here at Lakers Nation, with the Lakers. This is the foundation of it, right? This is where, you know, we can go back to Jerry West. We can get into all that stuff, but where the Lakers really, like, really became the Lakers. This is this era. This is the Showtime era. This is where the NBA goes to another level. So one of my favorite, uh, favorite quotes is, you can't understand what lays ahead if you don't understand the past. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand the the background of this team. You have to understand the foundation of this organization, where it all comes from, to get a sense of what's coming next for the Lakers and kind of where this journey is is taking them. So again, I would encourage Lakers fans, go check it out on HBO. Find it. Winning time again debuts August 6th. Guys, thank you both so much for for coming on here. This was was absolutely phenomenal. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. All right, Lakers Nation, thank you again. Till next time. See ya and stay safe. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.